Section two of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Russell Newton. Section two Balfi, the Bohemian Girl. One bright summer day, towards the end of the eighteenth century, high revels were being held in the little city of Pressburg on the Danube for a merry troop of Austrian soldiers had just returned from the wars, flushed with success, and elated by their victorious invasion of the fair but unhappy land of Poland. The gayest scene of all took place in the beautiful grounds before the castle of Count Arnhem, their leader, for here preparations were being made for a great hunt, and the retainers and peasants on the estate were merry-making in honor of their lord's return. Count Arnhem, accompanied by a number of neighboring nobles whom he had invited to join in the chase, presently came forth from the castle, and as soon as he appeared, a loud shout of welcome arose from the whole party of holiday-makers. Amongst these brilliant newcomers was the Count's nephew, Florestein, a conceited, foppish young man, whose gorgeous appearance was only surpassed by his foolish conversation. And in and out amongst the guests tripped little Arline, the heiress of Arnhem, a lovely child, who was the joy of her widowed father's heart. The Count gravely acknowledged the hearty welcome accorded to him with a sad smile, for since the death of his beautiful young wife a deep melancholy had settled upon him, and the only joy he now knew was his love for his only child, Arline, who alone could comfort him. He did not care to join in the chase, but having seen that his noble guests had all they needed for their sport, he tenderly caressed his beloved child once more and returned to the castle. The huntsmen now sounded their lively bugle-calls, and when all were ready, the brilliant cavalcade moved off, climbing the hillsides and disappearing behind the rocks and trees. The little Arline, after much coaxing, at length persuaded her attendant maid, Buddha, to allow her to follow the hunters a short distance. And since all the retainers and peasants had also rushed off to watch the sport, the castle grounds were left quite deserted for a time. Presently, a handsome young stranger, dressed in the garb of a Polish officer, ran into the gardens in a breathless and exhausted state, seeking a hiding-place, for a band of Austrian soldiers, whose vigilance the prescribed exile could no longer exude, were now close upon his track, and every moment he expected them to come in sight. Poor Thaddeus of Poland, a scion of a noble family, he had bravely fought and bled for the freedom of his country as a true patriot, but now, defeated and pursued, he wandered forth homeless, without friends or fortune, and his only hope to find some place of present shelter. A statue of the Austrian emperor before the entrance to the castle warned the unhappy exile that he was on the very threshold of his enemies, and that this was no safe haven for him, and, full of despair, he was just about to make his escape, when a band of wild-looking gypsies suddenly swarmed into the grounds from the wooden glade and quickly surrounded him. The sight of these merry gypsies brought a sudden hope of safety to the wretched Thaddeus, and turning to their leader, a light-hearted, clever rogue rejoicing in the name of Devil's Hoof, he cried out eagerly, "'Let me join your ranks. I am a homeless wanderer, without country, friends, or fortune. But I have youth, strength, and courage, which I'll expend in your service, if you will save me from mine enemies, who are even now upon me.' Devil's Hoof and his gypsy companions were so pleased with the boldness of this happy young stranger that they were glad enough to let him join their ranks, and as his pursuers could already be seen approaching, they quickly stripped off his soldier's garb and dressed him in gay gypsy clothes. Whilst this quick change was being made, a roll of parchment, 
with a seal attached fell to the ground and thaddeus as he hastily snatched it up and hid it within his bosom explained that it was his commission from which he would never be parted since it was the sole proof of his noble birth he had only just time to mingle with the other gypsies when the austrian soldiers who had pursued him so long entered the grounds and demanded news of the fugitive but upon the wily devil's hoof carelessly announcing that a young polish officer had passed up the hillside only a few minutes ago they dashed off in that direction at once as they vanished out of sight the triumphant devil's hoof seized the hand of thaddeus in token of comradeship swearing to befriend him all his life and then he gaily led him off to watch the chase followed by the rest of the gypsy band meanwhile the great hunt was going forward with much spirit lively bugle calls sounding in every direction but suddenly loud cries of alarm came from the woods and a crowd of peasants rushed into the grounds all talking at once and seemingly full of distress upon the heels of this crowd came thaddeus in his gypsy dress and seeing that the people seemed distraught he demanded what was wrong learning from their excited cries that the little child arline whom he had already seen and admired in the woods had been set upon by an infuriated stag he was filled with dismay and snatching up a rifle that lay on a seat nearby he hurried off to her aid he quickly reached the spot and killed the maddened animal and then he returned to the grounds with the rescued child and her terrified attendant the wild cries of the peasants quickly brought count arnhem upon the scene and on learning of the danger his precious child had been in he clasped her in his arms with great relief seeing however that her arm had been wounded by the stag's horns he bade the nurse carry her within doors and attend to her hurts and then turning to thaddeus he seized his hand and poured forth words of gratitude upon him for saving the life of his beloved child who was the one joy of his lonely heart on being next invited by the count to partake of refreshment and join in the festivities thaddeus at first proudly refused remembering that these were the enemies of his country but the merry guests would not accept his refusal and good-naturedly dragged him off to the refreshment tables that had been laid out near the castle steps here the company seated themselves whilst a troop of dancers went through a mazy figure before them and presently the little arline with her wounded arm now bound up appeared at an upper window with her nurse to watch the revels when the wine glasses had all been filled the count rose from his seat and invited his guests to drink the health of their emperor but though everyone else rose to do honor to the pledge thaddeus remained seated and did not touch his glass the young fop florestein soon noticed his attitude and pointed it out to his uncle and count arnheim immediately filled up another goblet and handed it to thaddeus challenging him to drink loyally to the health of the emperor but the heart of thaddeus was full of rage against the invader of his beloved poland and in answer to the count's challenge he seized the glass and dashed it to pieces at the foot of the emperor's statue instantly there arose a chorus of indignation and the guests leaped upon thaddeus with drawn swords and at the same moment devil's hoof the gypsy leader who had been watching the scene for some time sprang forward to protect his new comrade the enraged guests instantly attacked thaddeus and devil's hoof with intent to kill them both but at a word from count arnheim the huntsmen and retainers dragged the two gypsies apart and marched them off in different directions thaddeus was led away toward the woods where however he soon broke from his captors and escaped to his gypsy friends but devil's hoof was taken into the castle and locked in an upper room after this the guests settled down to their festivities once more and the dancing and games continued with great merriment the waiting-maid buddha 
left her little charge for a short time and went out into the grounds to assure the count that his child was now recovering from her fright and whilst he was away the gypsy devil's hoof took his revenge for capture having escaped from his prison chamber during the absence of the guards and reached the castle roof he gently lowered himself down to the open window of arlene's room and stepping on to the sill he entered and shut the window behind him he then snatched up the little child and hurried from the room with her and making his way along the deserted passages escaped through a side door with his prize none of the revellers had noticed the gypsy's daring climb from the roof and when buddha presently returned to arlene's chamber and found it empty she was filled with amazement wildly she searched in every room and then uttering loud cries of alarm she rushed outside declaring that the child had been stolen quickly the nobles rushed into the castle and finding that the captive gypsy had also vanished they knew well enough that he had carried off the child in revenge when the count heard the terrible news he uttered a cry of despair and at that moment devil's hoof appeared on the hillside carrying arlene in his arms and stifling her cries as he sprang from rock to rock with a shout of rage count arnheim and the nobles sprang after the spoiler but devil's hoof ran to a deep gorge between two rocky cliffs and having crossed over the tree trunk that served as a bridge he kicked it down into the gulf below so that none might follow him further his baffled pursuers then took up their rifles but the cunning gypsy held little arlene in front of him and they dared not fire count arnheim in a frenzy of despair was about to fling himself into the gorge but his guests seized his arms and whilst they carried him back senseless to the castle devil's hoof still holding the child as a shield made his escape and vanished into the depths of the forest twelve years had passed away and the gypsy tribe after many wanderings were again encamped in the city of pressburg on the open side of a quiet street the tent of the gypsy queen was pitched and here one moonlit summer night arlene lay sleeping while thaddeus watched beside her all was quiet and peaceful for it was growing late and only one inn kept its light burning but presently a party of gypsies wrapped in dark cloaks entered the street headed by the bold devil's hoof who had brought them here to rob the late revellers as they left the inn quietly they crouched in the shadows in dark corners to await their prey and in a short time their patience was rewarded for a gorgeously clad figure soon issued from the inn and staggered down the street with uneven steps this was florestein the foppish nephew of count arnheim who regarding himself as the heir of his wealthy uncle since the kidnapping of his little cousin arlene squandered his own fortune recklessly and spent all his time in feastings and revelings seeing in this foolish roisterer an easy and profitable victim devil's hoof accosted him at once calling his companions about him at the same time and in a few minutes they had stripped him of every valuable he had carried for florestein being a coward as well as a fop was too terrified even to cry out having possessed himself of a rich jeweled medallion and chain devil's hoof made his escape leaving his companions to finish what he had begun but whilst the exulting gypsies were eagerly dividing their spoils another cloak figure suddenly appeared in the midst full of surprise and dismay they started back for the cloaked figure was that of their own gypsy queen and they could read anger in her mien with a haughty gesture she bade them instantly restore all they had stolen from their victim and not daring to disobey her command the gypsies sullenly handed back the rings chains and other jewels that they had been so eager to secure is that all demanded the queen and florestein in a voice trembling with fright replied that he had yet lacked a handsome gold medallion set with diamonds worth all the rest 
The gypsies explained that Devil's Hoof had gone off with this jewel as his prize, and then the queen led Florestein away, saying she would protect him to a place of safety and beckoning to the gypsies to follow her. When the street was quiet once more, Arline, who had been awakened by the noise, arose and came forth from the tent into the moonlight, followed by Thaddeus. These two had grown to be lovers during the years that had passed, and they only awaited the gypsy queen's pleasure to join their hands in marriage. Arline had no knowledge of her noble birth, though she had always felt herself to be different from the careless gypsies with whom she lived, and to-night, as she stood in the moonlight, she told Thaddeus of a dream she had just awakened from, which seemed to bear a message for her. She had dreamt that she dwelt in marble halls, amidst great riches and splendor, bearing a high ancestral name, that countless suitors sought her hand, and yet, which charmed her most of all, that Thaddeus still loved her just the same. When her story came to an end, she begged her lover to tell her the secret of her birth, for she felt that he knew it, since he had already told her that a certain scar upon her arm had been caused by the charge of a wild stag, from which danger he had saved her years ago. But for answer, Thaddeus only showered kisses upon her, for he knew full well that if he disclosed her true birth, they must be parted. Whilst they were thus folded in each other's arms, the gypsy queen, who also loved Thaddeus, suddenly returned, and advancing towards Arline, angrily demanded how she thus dared to aspire to the love of one who was the chosen lover of her queen. But Arline was not afraid of a rival's anger, and standing aside, she said that Thaddeus should choose between them. Instantly, Thaddeus folded her in his arms again, and then Arline, with a triumphant smile, turned toward the other gypsies who had now gathered round, and declared that it was their desire to be wed. Then Devil's Hoof, whose delight it was to make mischief and stir up jealousy, reminded the queen that was her duty and right as a ruler of the tribe to join the hands of those of her subjects who desired to be united. And the queen, afraid of losing her authority should she refuse, came slowly forward and haughtily placed the hand of Arline in that of Thaddeus, according to the gypsy custom of betrothal. But she was full of inward disappointment and rage, and when Arline and Thaddeus presently wandered off in the moonlight, she turned upon Devil's Hoof and passionately accused him of having brought this evil hour upon her, declaring she would only pardon him on condition that he yielded up to her the jeweled medallion he had stolen that night. Devil's Hoof, though he feared naught else, dared not disobey the queen of his tribe, so he delivered up the medallion, but muttered vengeance as he strode away. The gypsy queen also thought of revenge, and as she hid the jewel in her dress, she laid a cunning plan for bringing trouble upon her rival by means of it. Next day, a great fair was to be held in Pressburg, and all the gypsy tribe went to join in the revels. Arline and the other bohemian maids took their tambourines and sang and danced for the amusement of the holiday-makers, and many of the gay youths of the town sought to obtain favors from the pretty strangers. Amongst these revelers was the fop, Florestine, decked in all his bravest attire, who was greatly struck by the beauty and grace of Arline. And seeing her standing alone one time, he swaggered up and made flattering remarks to her. Finding that his foolish speeches were not listened to, he next tried to snatch a kiss, but to his surprise and dismay, Arline turned sharply round upon him and boxed his ears. As he turned away, angry and discomfited, the gypsy queen, who had been watching the scene, recognized him as the roisterer whom she had protected the night before, and running after Arline, she fastened the jeweled medallion round her neck, saying that it was a reward for her pretty conduct, but knowing full well that Florestine would soon see it, and accuse the girl of theft. 
Having thus carried out the evil plan she had laid, the queen left the fairground, and soon afterwards the rest of the tribe departed also. But, just as Thaddeus and Arlene were moving away, Florestein caught sight of his medallion hanging round the maiden's neck, and hurrying forward, he loudly accused her of having stolen it from him, rejoicing to thus bring trouble upon one who had repulsed his advances. Arlene indignantly defended herself, but at the command of Florestein she was quickly surrounded by the city guards, who seized and bore her off in triumph to the Hall of Justice. Here Count Arnheim sat, waiting to do justice on those offenders who should be brought before him that day, for his high position had made him the chief judge of the district. The twelve years that had gone by had aged him very much, for all his efforts to trace his stolen daughter had been in vain, but never for a moment had he altogether given up hope, and never did he cease to think of the sweet little maid who had been the only comfort of his lonely heart. He was thinking of her now, as he sat in the Hall of Justice on the day of the fair, but presently his sad thoughts were rudely interrupted by the entrance of the city guards, with Arlene in their midst, and Florestein bringing up the rear. With swaggering, self-satisfied demeanor, Florestein approached his uncle and in angry, excited tones accused Arlene of having stolen his diamond medallion. But Count Arnheim, greatly struck by the beauty and innocent looks of the young girl, who reminded him strangely of his own lost child, begged her to defend herself. Then Arlene explained in clear, sweet tones that the jewel had been but a short time ago bestowed upon her by the gypsy queen, who, she now saw, had intended to bring trouble upon her by this very gift. And she proudly declared that, rather than be accused of such baseness as common theft, she would take her own life. She drew a dagger as she spoke, but ere she had raised her arm, Count Arnheim, whose cords of memory had again been touched by the maiden's sweet voice, sprang forward and snatched the weapon from her hand. His action was so sudden that Arlene's loose sleeve slipped back from her elbow, disclosing the rough scar upon her white arm, and as the Count's gaze fell upon this wound mark, he turned suddenly pale, and in trembling accents demanded how she came by it. Full of surprise at his tone, Arlene repeated the story of the maddened stag that Thaddeus had told to her, and Count Arnheim, knowing now beyond a doubt that this beautiful bohemian maiden was indeed his long-lost child, clasped her in his arms with frantic joy, declaring to the all that she was his beloved daughter. And now Arlene was quickly restored to the high position she had been born to, and as soon as the young girl had recovered from the strangeness of her new life, the proud and happy Count set out invitations for a magnificent fete and ball that he might introduce his lovely daughter to his friends in fitting style. But on the night of the ball, Arlene, dressed in richest garments, sat alone in one of the splendid salons of the castle, with a sad look upon her face, for she was thinking of her faithful lover Thaddeus, and felt that she could never enjoy her new prosperity unless he shared it with her. The Count and his foppish nephew had just left her, at her own request, and as they went off to receive the first guests, she knew that Florestein, whom she greatly despised, was already petitioning her hand in marriage. With a heavy sigh, her thoughts turned quickly to the free and happy past, and at that moment the low window of the salon was suddenly open, and Devil's Hoof entered from the grounds beyond. He begged her not to be alarmed, since he had but brought a message from his tribe, asking her to return to her old friends, and as he spoke the window was opened again, and Thaddeus entered the room. With a cry of joy, Arlene rushed into her lover's arms, and when Thaddeus besought her to remember him sometimes, even amidst wealth and splendor, 
she declared that she cared not for wealth and splendor unless he would love her still. As they stood there folded in each other's arms, Count Arnheim's voice was heard as he conducted his guest towards the room, and Arline, fully aware that this was not the time to present her gypsy lover to her father, hastily thrust Thaddeus into a curtained recess, whilst Devil's Hoof escaped through the window. In another moment Count Arnheim entered the salon with the early guests, and with a proud smile took Arline by the hand and introduced her to his noble friends. Now, whilst Arline and Thaddeus had been rejoicing together, the gypsy queen had watched them without the window, with a bitter rage and jealousy in her heart, for she still loved Thaddeus, and followed him wherever he went. She saw Arline hide him within the recess, and as the gaily dressed guests afterwards trooped in, she quickly thought out a plan for revenging herself upon her rival. Opening the window, she softly entered the salon, making her way to Count Arnheim, threw off her cloak, and declared that she had a message for him. Greatly surprised at the appearance of this strange figure, the Count bade her speak on, and with a triumphant glance toward the now pale and trembly Arline, the gypsy queen cried, "'The daughter you prize so fondly is deceiving you. She loves a gypsy of my tribe, and he is even now hidden in this room.' She pointed to the recess as she spoke, and Count Arnheim, stepping forward, drew aside the curtain, and Thaddeus appeared before the eyes of the astonished guests. Full of indignation and disappointment, the proud Count poured forth bitter reproaches upon the daughter he now felt to be unworthy of his love, and drawing his sword, he passionately bade Thaddeus depart ere he took his life. The gypsy queen seized Thaddeus by the hand, and triumphantly tried to drag him away with her. But Arline ran to her lover's side, and turning towards the bewildered guest, begged them to leave her alone with her father. When the guests had all retired to the salon beyond, and only her father and lover remained, she fell on her knees and implored the Count to consent to her marriage with Thaddeus, whom she loved so dearly, declaring that she would rather die than live without him. But the Count only exclaimed the more against the disgrace to his name should his daughter wed an outcast gypsy. On hearing this, the ancestral pride of Thaddeus could no longer be restrained, and caring naught for the danger it might bring, he haughtily declared that he was of equally pure and noble birth as the Count himself, even though he wore the garb of a gypsy. He then told the whole story of his exile from Poland, and his reason for joining the gypsy tribe, and drawing forth his commission, from which he had never departed, he handed it to the Count as the proof of what he said. Count Arnheim was greatly moved at the sad story told by the exile, and when he had glanced at the commission, and read there that Thaddeus was indeed of noble birth, he took him by the hand, saying that the feuds of their countries should be forgotten, and that they should be friends. He then placed Arlene's hand in that of Thaddeus, and the lovers embraced with great joy. Meanwhile, the queen of the gypsies, who had left the salon when the guests retired, had gone in search of a young gypsy whom she knew to be devoted to her service, and bidding him bring his musket and follow her, she once more crept round to the open window of the salon. With gleaming eyes she watched the three figures within, and then, when she saw the lovers folded in each other's arms, she turned to the gypsy at her side, and, in a transport of jealous rage, bade him shoot Thaddeus instantly. But Devil's Hoof had also followed closely upon her track, suspecting her evil design, and just as the musket was raised, by a dexterous movement he diverted the young gypsy's aim, and turned the muzzle upon the queen. There was a loud report, and a shriek, and the queen of the gypsies fell to the ground, slain by the shot she had intended for her lover. End of section 2